Friends, as Josh said, it is great to see you if you're joining with us, if it's your first time uh, this morning, if you're in town for the wedding, uh, or you're just popping in to see uh, what happens here at Rack Evangelical Church. We are so glad that you've joined us uh, here this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 104 together, uh, so you'd be helped just to turn there now, Psalm 104. And the word psalm just means songs. And they are really, in that whole book of Psalms, 150 different poems that cover really the whole range of life, the highs and the lows, the good times, the bad times. And we're going to be looking at a couple of Psalms over the next uh, two weeks. And I think they're really fascinating and encouraging for each of us to read through as Christians. Often the foundation for many hymns that we sing. And as a book, they're really meant to point our attention to God and meant to drive and further our worship and our praise of him as we consider who he is and how that should change everything for us as Christians when we live with this perspective. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 104 today. Uh, surprisingly, it comes right after Psalm 103 and right before Psalm 105. This is a wonderful psalm of praise right in the middle of just a small section of psalms uh, that pause uh, right there in the middle of the Psalter to remind us how awesome God is. So today's psalm just loosely follows the creation story in Genesis 1 and looks at how God has created and made all things. It shows how in his wisdom and for his glory he has made everything, everything that we see and know and touch. All those things uh, understood and even those things unseen and undiscovered in our world. All of this, all of it points to how great he is and how we should bless his name. So as we walk through the text uh, together, I think the main overarching theme of this passage is, and really the main point for our time together, is Christian, enjoy creation and worship the creator. Christian, Enjoy creation and worship the creator. Our text has seven little sections, and so I have seven points for us today. That's right, seven points for our time together. They're all centered around us praising God for who he is. So praise God for he is, number one, the Lord of splendor and majesty. The Lord of splendor and majesty. Number two, the Lord who makes. The Lord who makes. Number three, the Lord who provides. The Lord who provides. Number four, the Lord who never sleeps. The Lord who never sleeps. Number five, the Lord who is creative. The Lord who is creative. Number six, the Lord who maintains. The Lord who maintains. And number seven, the Lord who endures forever. So let's jump straight into our first point. I'm going to read it for us. Uh, it's point number one, the Lord of splendor and majesty. And it's in verses one to four. Let me read those for us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. 
He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. So if you look there, straight away, I think we see the language of this first point. We don't know who the psalmist here is, but from their deepest being, their very soul cries out, bless the Lord. We see that straight away. It means just to to lift up praise. It means to pour out adoration for the Lord. That's what bless the Lord means. Out of the psalmist's very soul comes this cry just before anything else that we see in our text. This psalm straight away begins with praise. I think that uh, we'll see that when we understand who God is, it should be immediate, without hesitation, that this praise just pours, flows out of our mouths, as we see here, from our hearts, from our souls. Scan down there to, to verse 35, and you'll see how the psalm ends. Exactly the same way. There is no doubt for us. This is a psalm of praise for who God is, for all that he has done, and uh, as we'll see, all that he will do. Friends, how often do your prayers begin with worries or concerns? What about just beginning your prayers with complaints? Perhaps you only pray when things go wrong. Why, God, has this happened? And here our psalmist pauses to just praise, just marvel at who God is and what he has done in creation and how he is worthy of all praise. It's my hope that just as we spend time in this psalm together that we will do exactly that. And I think this point just builds and reinforces this. We will praise God more together. Uh, The Lord here, that is Yahweh, that's God's holy name there. You'll see it in capitals. He is the subject of this psalm. And throughout, we're going to see that as humans, we have kind of difficulty trying to to wrap our head around how amazing God is, how in his magnificence, who he is in all of his glory. And this first image we have of God here in his greatness, it's an image of a king. Psalmist says he is clothed with splendor and majesty. These words bring to mind images of glory, of of rule, of dignity, of awe. It's not just that, that God is great. He's a king. In this wonderful poetry, this is what God wears. They are the impression the mark that he leaves. He is so amazing and so great, so above what we can imagine that he also wears light as with a garment. We see in Exodus that Moses' face shone when he met God, that people were scared at the very sight. I made a mistake the other day. I was just staring at the sun as I left work just staring at it for a little bit too long and I realized as I turned on the car and sat there that I couldn't see anything. That just in the middle of my sight was this complete blind spot because the sun was so powerful. My eyes couldn't handle it. Well, here in our text, we're seeing that God is greater 
than the sun itself. We're seeing that he takes the sun and the light it produces in our solar system and he could wear it. He could wrap himself in it like a cloak. Takes the stars in the sky, all that is above us. If you look in the desert, you see the Milky Way shining bright. He takes all of it and beyond. And he knows every part of it and puts it in its place. Psalmist imagines it almost being stretched out like a tent. So we can now have all that we marvel at. We can study and see out there. Friends, this is something scientists give their whole lives to. Just staring into telescopes or staring into the sky. Just trying to see some of these stars and these moons. Every one of them. God just perfectly placing Perfectly knowing its position, the vastness and wonder, none of what we see and what we know is out of his control. This opening section looks back at Genesis 1 verse 1. This is the God who creates the heavens and the stars, every single one. And then the psalmist carries on for us, imagining how our Lord of the one of all the universe, the one who has built his own house above the waters, laying, it says, the beams of his chambers. To now we have a heavenly dwelling. And in his greatness, we see that he is the Lord over the clouds. He has control over the winds and the angels, those messengers and ministers, all of it, everything at his disposal. Friends, this is the king. He is wrapped in splendor. He is the Lord of light, the one whose chariot is formed in the clouds, who has the wind and the fire, everything at his control. There is nothing in the heavens, nothing like the sun or the stars that is beyond his control. We must remember this as Christians. This is encouraging for us. When we pray, this is the God we are praying to, the one who controls all things. The one that we can ask all things. Friends, all of it, even the angels, it says, under the sovereignty of God as the king. Friends, it's the same with Jesus. Verse 4, there is then reference in Hebrews 1 in the New Testament. It shows that the angels worship him. They worship God and he uses them, but Jesus is the king, and it is his throne that will last forever. That this world, even the heavens, we read previously, are just a garment to him. There's something that will fade and, and perish. Yet God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, we know will never end. And we see that it's Jesus as, as God that has power over creation. It's he that controls the wind and the rain. His power over all of creation. He's the one that can heal the sick. He's the one that can make the blind man see or raise a man from the dead. God is very great. He is worthy to be praised as the Lord of splendor and majesty. So let me ask you, who is it that you trust? Who or what do you worship? hope you see that it's the God of the Bible, that it is Jesus Christ here that deserves your praise. 
Our second point will also see that he is the Lord who makes. Let's turn to our second point, the Lord who makes. Look with me there in the text. I'll read for us verses 5 to 9. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. Friends, here the the wonderful poetry continues just for us into this next section as we see that it is God who forms the earth. He is the one who makes. We can take comfort In this fact, because of verse 5 and the two words there in particular. The first word, set. The second word, never. This verse, we see that it is God who has set the earth. We're not fully aware. We can't comprehend completely what it means for God to have set all that we see. And that we know your average person, I think, just loves creation. We love standing and marveling at what we see, yet we just don't question things like gravity. Things like gravity, other forces, and how they impact everything. I hope you understand that God has set them all. Take something like the velocity of Earth's rotation. That is just the speed at which the Earth spins. It's essential to everything we know of life here and it's just one tiny factor but friends if our gravity here changed by just one percentage point then the earth's velocity would completely change our orbit would change we'd likely go a little bit closer to the sun and temperatures here would increase and the earth would be radically different i do wonder that if temperatures increased if we would notice any difference at all in the uae That's another point. Probably not, really. So the rotation of the earth is just one tiny aspect of this. all of these calculations, all of these things that we uh, and scientists somewhere try to comprehend and understand and uh, write down and put into formulas, these things that God just sets. He sets each one of them. Friends, there are a million more things that we could consider, all, all of these just perfectly aligned. Each one of them in its perfection for us to be here as we are today. So we can say with confidence that it is God who has set, the psalmist says for us, the earth on its foundations. The other amazing word here is the word never. So both the setting and its never changing is all down to the fact that it's God that does these things. I want us to leave here. I want each one of us here to leave with more reasons to praise God this morning. Friends, we can have confidence in our life here, not in creation itself, but in the God who makes, the God who provides, and the God who sustains all things. We've seen the the heavens and the earth, we see them just rolled out and we see God wrapping everything in light. Now we see, as we see in Genesis 1 verses 6 to 9, we now see the waters 
and the earth and the mountains and the dry land appear. How does God do it? Look there at verses 6 to 9 with me. It says, he covers and he appoints and he speaks. He holds it all in his hands. As that old Sunday school hymn says, he's got the whole world in his hands. What a beautiful, but what a true image. God has got the whole world in his hands. Just imagine the whole earth completely void, without form. And then we see God just rolls out the landscapes, everything underwater, the deep valleys and trenches that we hear about. Verse 7, we see that it is at his voice, at his rebuke, that the mountains rise up. We know them, the top of the world. And then we see the valleys sink down low. All of this completely unavoidable. Unavoidable. The, the earth, the rocks, they can do nothing else than listen to God's command. All of this unavoidable, such as His power and His majesty. We know in our minds and also in other cultures and countries, how much power is given to particular mountains or a special river. Or maybe how scary or sacred certain places are seen to be. Here we see, friends, I hope clearly that all of this is his creation. All of it is from him. The mountains and the valleys, when they hear God's voice, they don't just move and go randomly or wherever they want. Look at verse 8. They go to the place that God has appointed for them. They go where he says. The mountains and the rivers do as he wants. Like in verse 9, if he sets a boundary, that cannot be changed. God's decision, God's rule, God's reign, they have no beginning and no end. Friends, that is everything in your life. That is everything around us. All of it under his sovereignty. He is the king. I think we also see here, which I think is really important for us to to realize and understand, that God is not removed from creation. But he is different How often do you hear people doing all they can to save our only hope, planet Earth? Or be so amazed by people themselves. Friends, yet the Earth and every person here is created. And then even further than this, we see religions where God is said to be in everything. He is the trees, or he is a fly, or he is a flower. Or that he is you. Friends, this psalm shows us that he is so different. He's so other and so holy. And so perfect. And so loving and so gracious. It might be hard for you to hear this morning, but you are not God. He is not you. He is not a tree. He's not a fly. He is God. Yet, and we see this in our third point, he is God and 
he cares. He cares. And so he provides. Let's look at verse 10 to 18 together. Our third point, the Lord who provides. Verses 10 to 18. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. That he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. I grew up in a famously wet place. I'm from Scotland where the average for the last 30 years has been a rainfall of about 1.5 meters. That's about 60 inches of rain a year. I love rain. I love the wet and I love green. I think here we see water is important. And amazingly, we see that it all comes from God. He chooses where it falls. He chooses where it doesn't fall. It's he that makes the springs gush forth. I love the way the psalmist says that God's lofty abode. From there you water the mountains. Friends, does God just provide for the weak? Or perhaps does he only provide for those that worship him? Clearly, the answer is no. In his grace and in his mercy, we see that he provides for all people and all the animals and all the birds. See that God has given us all that we need to not just survive. He doesn't just give us the bare necessities. He gives us what we need to flourish. What we need to enjoy his creation. As we see these echoes of the third day of creation in Genesis, I think here we are given a list of all that man can enjoy. All that man can make use of and praise God for. The mountains, the rivers, the valleys. We also see how God has made all of this for his glory. In his wisdom and in his creativity. That's the donkey's thirst even mentioned. That Even that is known by the Lord and that it's quenched. The rocks and the vegetation and the fruit are satisfied by his hand. Even there in verse 12, the birds are singing. He clothes and feeds and provides for them all. Friends, how much more will he care for us? He knows the birds and the courses they fly. He knows each rock badger. He knows each wild goat on Jebel Jace and has provided shelter for it. Friends, his care and provision extends to all things and in all places. Look there at verses 14 and 15. They show us 
how from his creation, he's also given us so much to do. And also so much to enjoy and to work at. Genesis 1 again in view as we see how man is to work and to be involved in God's work as a unique creation. The only one made in God's image. Friends, this is really important. We are not like the animals, our pets or the beasts of the field. They are cute. They can be helpful. They are not people. Man is different. Men and women have jobs and things to do. We also see they have things to enjoy. Our first points to how we are meant to be a people that enjoy meat, meant to be a people that enjoy vegetables. Clearly, we're to have well moisturized skin, meant to be a people that enjoy a glass of wine or are able to eat and make bread. I mean, sign me up. This sounds absolutely amazing. I'm also not really joking. I mean, look at these verses. Think about what God says in Genesis 1. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything has the breath of life i have given every green plant for your food this all seems quite clear to me verses 14 and 15 of this psalm seem simple enough god provides the land the grass grows the animals eat it and we are able to eat them The Lord provides the trees. The trees produce fruit that we eat and we are allowed to make into wine and to drink. The Lord makes vegetables and grains. We are to use the oil for our faces. Some of us don't do that enough, but that's another point. We can, we're able to make this into oil for us to enjoy. God also says he's given us the skills to to make bread. So many other things. I hope you see God has not just given us the basics. God's also provided us with skilled people. We have some of them, many of them here. You saw this at the, the potluck last week. Saw this in other occasions. If you've been with one another for uh, any time at all, you see we have people here that make cakes, that make bread, that people that roast and grind coffee, those who host people for food, those that enjoy a glass of wine. Friends, all of these things, just great gifts for us. God's provision for us. All something to praise him for. All things that can bring God glory. Christian, let me remind you this morning that everything you do is an opportunity to bring God glory. Everything you do is an opportunity to bring God glory. In our next point, we see that that even applies to our rest 
and our sleep. Turn to our point four. The Lord who never sleeps. Let me read verses 19 to 23 for us. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to labor until the evening. Friends, God does so much through the day, through the night, and the way that he governs all of it. That he's just given us these rhythms to live and to, to rest by. It was on the fourth day of creation that God created the day and the night, the sun for the day and the moon for the nighttime. Again, there's so much wrapped up in these couple of sentences about who God is, about who we are in relation to him. As we saw before, even last week, work is not a bad thing. Here we see that Nighttime and sleep and rest are also not things to despise or be afraid of. You might be scared of the dark here this morning. You might worry about nighttime. Or you might be someone that just thinks, I don't really need that much sleep. It's not that important. We've looked at this recently in our stewardship foundation class, but I think we know from these verses that it's God who causes the earth to rotate, the one who moves the earth, the moon and around the sun, suspends them, holds them in space, and then gives us day and night. Verse 19 tells us that the sun knows it's time for setting, that even the lion seek their food from God. Look at verse 21. Whether it's the sun in the sky or the lion in his den, all of creation knows that he is Lord, that he is in control. Have the king of the animal kingdom looking to God for its food. And then we see the captain of all planets, the sun held together, providing heat and light. All of that because that is what God has ordained. Verse 23, we see that This governance and these rhythms that God has put in place for all creation also apply to you. See that on the seventh day, God rested from all he did in creation. See this example of rest and stopping our work. It's built into our week. You should have a seventh day of rest. We see here that it's also something that happens every day. We can sleep and rest because God's rule and his reign never cease. We know that he stopped creating on the seventh day, but he didn't just tap out of all things at that time. Our rest every day, it points to a need, a dependence on him. Friends, there is, and some of you really need to hear, is there is something deep and holy about lying down, knowing that God will take care of tomorrow. Couple that thought with all we see previously about labor and work and the arrival of morning. And we also know that this sleep, 
that we enjoy should come to an end. We saw last week that we are made to work and not be lazy, but friends, we must also learn what it means to rest and to stop. To do this is equally as prideful. Some of us last week needed to be reminded to work. I think some of us here today need to be reminded to rest. Not doing so says that I can do it. It says that I can do it on my own strength. I think we see here that God has clearly designed our days for us. That each of them should end with us closing our eyes. And then opening them again the next morning. With me at verses 24 to 26. Now, fifth point. The Lord who is creative. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. I want to tell you about the Freyastera tuberculata, the Chrysogorgia, the gummy squirrel, the Hylonema, the Zora Roster, the Cyclocnates, the Camptosoma abscissale. These are just seven of 36 new species that were found in the Central Pacific in July. All of them at a depth of 4,800 meters below the surface. That's about half of Everest, but all the way down. In a special part of the Pacific known as the Clarion Clipper Zone. I've said it before about space and other things to do with science, but I just love science and all of these kind of things. Creation really fascinates me. Also, as a Christian, I think we should smile sometimes, as uh, I do, when you read scientific articles. We see often phrases such as, as far as we can tell, or from what we know, or the word which I particularly like, which is around. Each of these are often used when talking about this kind of thing. So, and this is true, as, as far as we know, there are 240,000 current known species in the sea. And as far as we can tell, 91% of the ocean has yet to be classified. I think the psalmist just nails that. Verses 24 and 25. How manifold are your works. The sea teems with creatures innumerable. Manifold meaning Many and varied, innumerable, meaning just beyond counting. I wish I could just show you some of the the hilarious photos of something like the gummy squirrel and others that I mentioned. Just marvelous, so funny, so different. I don't think that God has created every living thing for us to eat, although I'm very happy to try at restaurants that uh, I don't know the names of. So many of these creatures are just because of 
who God is just in his creativity. Down 4,800 meters below sea level. The gummy squirrel just going about its business. Just because, because God created it. He knows why he created it. He knows how in his creativity, something that knows no limits. His creativity knows no limits. The colors and the shapes and the sizes, all of it, just a tiny glimpse of his wisdom. And really, I think the the joy that God has in creation. From the great whales to the hylonema, he uses and cares for all of them. He knows them and they all point to him and for his glory. And even in our verses, we see even the Leviathan, this mythical and seemingly dangerous and strange creature mentioned elsewhere. Here we see that even it has been created by God. And what does it do? Is it out there terrifying people? No, it plays all of this, all of creation for God's pleasure. What an extraordinary thing. The mighty Leviathan, the great white shark, or even the fish not yet discovered are all there to enjoy, to thrive, and to play in God's good creation. Friends, what does that tell us? What about us? What about you? I think in our next point, verses 27 to 30, we see the answer. Point six is the Lord who maintains. The Lord who maintains. Verses 27 to 30. It says, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. If you were to look at my YouTube search history, you'd see that I just love those people are awesome videos. The crazy and amazing stuff that people get up to, uh, all the different skills that they have. Do you know why we can do any of those things? Do you know why any of us can be kind or generous or any of the other things that you appreciate, appreciate about either the person sitting next to you or other people in the room or people in other countries? It's because every person is made in God's image. Every person is made in God's image. Because every person reflects God in just their tiny and special and God-ordained way. Friends, this includes you here this morning. You reflect God's glory. And you are fully dependent on him for everything all we have is from him through him and for him look at verses 28 to 30 and i think you see this effect when god does x we do y 
When God does A, we do B. He is the God who maintains this world generation to generation, long before us, potentially long after us. And friend, everything in your life, including the very moment of your birth and also the very second of your death comes from his hand. That's all things visible and and invisible. All things are from him. Because of this, he deserves our praise. That's the breakfast you had this morning, the bath you enjoyed this week, or the person you hold dearest in the whole world. All things that you can touch and experience are from him. But also that joy you feel when you swim, the love that you experience from your family, the peace that you might feel up a mountain, or that satisfaction you experience when you read God's word. Friends, he is sovereign over all things. All that we know and smell and touch and experience all happens within his maintaining hands. Friends, we also see here that it is God that gives life, that gives good things, but he is also the one that takes away, the one that hides his face, the one who will take your last breath. There is a coming day when this God that we have looked at, the God of all things, all of us will stand before him. Now this whole amazing creation story where we see that God created man from dust and how here in verses 29 and 30 we're reminded that each of us will return to dust. Well that creation story continues and we see through the first man Adam's decisions and leadership sin entered this perfect world that God created came through Adam, the first man, his rebellion, his disobedience and turning from God. And now, because of that, each of us here, we are a son of Adam. Because of that, you too carry that same sin. That is why I think the title of those videos is just very misleading. People are not awesome. We are all sinners. You, me, we know this, that this sin is not something we can sort out on our own. And because of it, we're now separated from a relationship with God. We all know and have experienced firsthand how dark and sinful this world is. That is no surprise. We have ruined God's creation. There is nothing that we can do on our own to fix it. But God, friends, he has made a way. As with creation, it is God that creates and rules. It's the same here. It is he that saves. John three sixteen. that famous verse is very helpful here. This world and all these people God loves so much. That he sent his only son as a sacrifice, taking your punishment that you deserve. What you see there in verses 27, 28, and 29, 
That is what Jesus experienced. He came to this earth and lived as a man. He enjoyed creation. He turned water into wine and ate bread with his friends. He had his feet washed with expensive oils. Then at the cross we also see Christ beaten, tortured in your place. And there on that cross we see what we see here. The Father hide his face from him and take away his last breath. Then Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He rose from the dead three days later and beat sin and death, conquering them and reigning victorious. Not just for a day or for a week, but for all time. So that many could come to him. So that many could be reconciled to God. So that many sinners could be saved. I think Jesus' faithfulness confirms what we see in our final verses. And there our seventh point. The Lord who endures forever. The Lord who endures forever. Let me read verses 31 to 35 for us. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. As we conclude the psalm, the writer is reminding us of God's mighty works in his majesty and splendor as we began as we remember all that he has done will his glory endure forever the same as in Genesis 1 we know that God looks on his creation that he says that it is good he has created it he has created man in his image we know that it is good because It is for his glory. And it all points to him. I don't think anyone can deny this. People try and people say they don't think there is a God. The Bible is clear in the book of Romans that every person knows and every person is accountable. No person will escape the judgment of this holy and just God. The one who... Our psalmist says, touches the mountains and they smoke. Each person here, every person in our city has to respond. Friends, this is personal. You can't be saved just because you come here every week. You can't be saved just because your mom and dad come to church or they are Christians themselves. That does not save you. Will you sing praise to God while you have being? If you are hearing this this morning, then there is still time. The psalmist here, in conclusion, can't 
control himself, just blurting out there in verse 34, for all eternity and declaring to the watching world, I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. Friends, let me ask you, is that your battle cry? Can you cry out, I rejoice in the Lord? Verse 35 concludes the psalm and our time together to having looked at and considered how great God is and how marvelous and generous He is in creation. Then our sin and rebellion, all of that should stand in stark contrast. It should shock us that we have rejected God and have thrown all of this in His face. Or even worse, we have claimed the glory for ourselves and think that We've done a good job. We only contribute our sin and our stains to his creation. This is why we can understand, I think, the psalmist's plea for sinners to be removed and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord and bless his name, O my soul, that God has made a way, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Friends, your sin had left a crimson stain and he did wash it white as snow. Praise God.